Hey there, this is AJ. I'm so glad you've joined us today on Faith for My Generation podcast. I want to remind you that our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word, and our mission is to create a resource of teachings that build strong faith in God. You know, that really is my prayer, that as you hear this message today, that the power of God's Word, anointed by the Holy Spirit, will stir up your most holy faith in Him so that you can be a light and a witness and a testimony of the living God in this earth. I pray that this message will richly bless you and increase you in spirit, soul, and in body. Now, let's get to the message. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26 verse 1. We're going to look at the prosperity of Isaac, the blessing of the Lord that was on Isaac. And as we're looking at that, I want you to think about something. In fact, it helps me when I say something to remember it. I want you to say this out loud. Say, dig another well. Say that one more time. Say, dig another well. I want you to say this as well. Say, fight for your well. Let's say that again. Fight for your well. Dig another well. Fight for your well. Genesis 26, verse 1. We're going to work our way through this chapter. As we, before we do that, I want you to think about this. Here we are. Today's what? January 31st. Last day of the first month of this year. So we're still in the beginning parts of this year. You know, we're still, if you will, just, we just completed one year of this decade. You know, what, the 2020 was the beginning of a new decade. What, is, what can we expect in this year? What can we expect in this coming week, the month of February, this year, the next five years, next ten years? Well, we know this, that if we listen to the voice of the world, they have something in store for us if we want to receive it. I mean, I just put down a few things, you know. Again, you know, we're gracious, we're merciful, we're loving and kind, we, we use wisdom, but you look on some general understanding of science and medical science and how things work and how God gave us immune systems and how certain things work, but here we are, we're 11 months into flattening the curve. And they're talking about months, maybe years of more lockdowns and things, and I'm all for protecting other people, amen? I'm all for being loving and kind. I've been to too many hospital rooms at an age of 30 going on 31. I've been to too many funerals. I don't want to hurt anybody. But you understand, there's some things you can and can't do, and there's some things that when you try to stop something, you might actually make it worse. Amen? You know, you think about livelihoods. Uh, not everyone can work from home. Not, everybody, not everyone can get things done from home or do this or that. So I understand. We, we use wisdom, you understand. But I've, un, I've come to know this. Generally, if man came up with it, it's not the best solution. If man created it, it's just not perfect. The book of Proverbs says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but it ends in death. You think about what's on the horizon. Well, we're already here. It doesn't matter. Pastor talked about change of administrations and president. Whether it's president, whether it's governor, whoever, it doesn't matter. There's always cycles of economic boom and tightening. Flourishing, famine. Increase, collapse. Joseph, when he became prime minister of Egypt, he had an interpretation of the dream that Pharaoh received. And he, he showed us a very important principle. 
pastor was talking about how if we obey the commands of God, we'll flourish, we'll prosper. You know what? If, you, if things are going well, save. That's what Joseph did. He said there's going to be seven years of increase. And the number he did was 20%. They saved 20% of everything Egypt made and it allowed them to flourish through seven years of famine. Think about that. One out of every five seeds that they had in their harvest, they just set it aside and it made them famine-proof. Amen. So there's so many things that the world can say, well, you know, there's unemployment rising. Long-time businesses that have been around for decades, a hundred years, filing bankruptcy. What is in store for you? And I want us to think and talk about today when we're seeing the blessing of the Lord that took place in Isaac. What did Isaac do that he received the blessing of the Lord that caused him to increase? Not because there was great excess in the land. Famine was in the land of the time of Isaac. We're going to see that. Isaac was blessed of the Lord. He produced, he brought about everything he had need of, his family had need of, in excess. He was blessed. And it wasn't because, well, it was just good times. It was bad times. We're going to see that. It wasn't because he was living around nice people. They hated him. So much so that he followed suit of his father. And when they come into this land, he tells his wife, uh, you know, tell them you're my sister. That way they don't kill me. Who wants to live beside a neighbor like that? Well, honey, don't, don't go around telling everybody I'm your husband and they may blow my head off so they can have you. That's not very good neighborhood, amen? So we're going we're gonna to see exactly what Isaac did because I know this, the world has lots of things in store for you. But I also know that God has the blessing in store for you. See, while there may be tightening or shrinking, or shutdowns, or lockdowns, whatever, it doesn't matter. The blessing of the Lord has not stopped. Amen. The blessing of the Lord doesn't stop at the change of a, an administration. Amen. The blessing of the Lord doesn't stop because of the changing of time, or a new month, or a new season. Well, this is my slow, slow time of the year. How about the slow time of the year be so prosperous that this year's slow time is better than best year's best time? The fear, of the, the fear of the world, it's not our portion. The destruction, the demise that sin produces is not our portion. We may be in this world, but we're not birthed of it. We're kingdom people. We're in the kingdom of God. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It's just this body which our spirit is living in as a house, is on this place right now. But literally, as we're living here, we're ambassadors of a kingdom which knows no lack, knows no decrease, knows no economic collapse or tightening. And these are real things. I know some people might say, well, you know, you're talking about provision, you're talking about money, you're talking about finances. But here's the thing. In America, the number one reason for divorce is finances. Argument over finances. Uh, money shouldn't be that big of an issue where it would destroy your covenant relationship with your husband or your wife. But if we don't put the proper focus on what money is in the very, honestly, small part of life it plays, if you don't mind the small part of that, it will get so blown out of proportion, you'll be doing everything, living for everything, relationships will be struggling, children will not like parents, parents will they'll be upset with children. I mean, all things will go awry if you don't put finances in its proper place. 
And if we don't see what God has said about His blessing that will truly provide for us, regardless of what's happening, regardless of what's taking place. You know, I think about we're all different places in our life, but Laura and I, here we are. We never were at that point, you know, with children. Some people are. And I'm not making fun. I'm not coming down some people. There's some people that will say, and they told Laura and I this. Laura and I always have wanted a big family, and we still do. Right, Laura? I mean, after, after, the first, after Naomi, I've got to make sure she's all right to go, go again. But she, she went through. I was right there. Husbands, were you in there, or, or dads, were you in there when the babies were born? Were you, were you in the room when they were delivered? Babies? Couple? Who was waiting in the waiting room? Waiting in the waiting room? Yeah. I told Laura, I said, well, I was just picking with her. I said, you know, Laura, I got everything to set up for live stream. I could just do that in the delivery room. You want me to just live stream it and then everybody can be there with us. Of course, she said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I, I said, I'm going to be in there. I'm going to do it. And, I, and, and, I, and she said, well, are you, you know, you're going you're gonna, to, we all understand, we're grown ups. Are you going to actually see her, you know, coming out and being born? I said, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, I will, I will. Go time starts, I'm right beside Laura's shoulder. She said, you know, and she was doing really good, which she had a, what is it, the epidural. And then she had a little bit on top of that, too, because about, about an hour out when the contractions really started, she said, I think my epidural's wearing out. I think, I think it's wearing off. They said, well, we can help you out. But I think, I don't know if it was quite wearing off, but I know this, Laura was laughing when she was having this baby. So I think, I think, I think she had a little extra dose. I said, honey, don't judge every pregnancy off this first one because they they, you might not have as good an anesthesiologist come back the next time. But of course, I said, I was gonna, I'm going to be there for the action. The whole time I was, Laura's shoulder, you got it, babe. You got it. You, oh, you got it, babe. Yeah, you've got it. She's coming. Yeah, she's coming. <laughs> but you know, thank God we were never at a point where we said, well, I, we'd want to have kids, but we don't know if we can afford them. The blessing of the Lord is not just enough for just you, it's for you, your wife, your husband, your family, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. The blessing of the Lord will provide more than you have need of. And it's not because of, well, it looks like it's pretty good time right now. The market went up. I guess I can receive the blessing of the Lord. Now, I invest. I started investing in 2008 of May. What happened in August of 2008? 40% drop in the market. I could have just said, well, that's it. I'm done with that. My measly little $5,000 that I'd wash cars, cut grass, <laughs> work side jobs, dig holes, cut shrubs, move trees, cut, you know, doing all this, leaving school, not, not doing anything after class on high school, go home, working at ministry helps, you know, picking up money where I could, setting it aside. Why? Because I'd found out there's a principle that when you invest and over time, it is an astonishing, miraculous thing. You put something in like a seed, truly it will produce 30, 60, 100 fold. You put it in there early enough, leave it in there long enough, something's going to happen. Amen? I knew that law. It was a law. It was a principle. But man, on August of 2008, when I saw my measly $5,000 go, drop down there, 45% off. Dad said, well, you learned a lesson. Good life lesson there, AJ. I said, what? I was only expecting, you know, shooting straight up. But I didn't stop. 
Because there was a law, there was a principle. I knew, just like the book of Ecclesiastes says, if I keep casting my bread upon the water, it's going to come back. Ecclesiastes 11. I knew that if I keep sowing seed, it will produce. I knew that though there's evil in the land, try seven, yes, even eight things, because you don't know which one's going to work. And because of that persistence and knowing there's a law on the earth of seed and harvest, well, we're able to pay off Lars' student loan debt, buy cars with cash, buy our first home with a 20% down payment so we don't have to pay those fees on top of it. We don't like those fees. I know we got some ladies that work at the banks, but we don't care for the fees, do we? We want to keep that money. The banks might like it, but we want to keep the money in our pockets. So let's look at this. Genesis 26. Genesis 26, verse 1. We're just going to read and work our way through this. And there's a few things I want you to see. Genesis 26, verse 1. There was a famine in the land. Someone say famine. There was a famine in the land. Not increase, not blessing. Nothing's growing. Why? Because there's no rain. There is no rain. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. This is Isaac we're talking about. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Verse 1, you see that? We're talking about Isaac. Isaac is experiencing a famine. And the Bible makes a point. It's not the famine that Abraham lived in. Someone say cycles. There's things that happen today that will happen again. And there are seasons, right? We're in winter. But how many is totally persuaded we will have spring? I mean, I know it's, it's uh, South Carolina, so spring might feel like summer. <laughs> and then summer might feel like double summer. And then we hit fall and it goes back to little summer or something. But we know seasons change, right? If it's Sunday, Monday is coming. There are cycles in the earth. There is seed time and there is harvest. There's a time of study. And preparation, you know, if you're in school, you're doing advancements at your jobs or you're trying to get certifications or, or move into a different field of work, there's a time of study and then test, right? Chris said, yeah, study, then test. There's things that happen in cycles. And what, and, and what does the Bible tell us? tells us? There's nothing new under the sun, right? There's nothing that surprises God, of course. But when we get His mind and His understanding through the Word of God, it won't surprise us either. And let me tell you something. When you realize that there's cycles in the earth, when famine hits, you won't say, Oh no, famine's here! What am I going to do? Hmm. Famine's here. Again. This will pass too. Famine's here. It'll be here. But it'll keep on going. Verse 2. The Lord appeared to him and said to Isaac, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you of. Verse 3, Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, and I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. You know, I want you to know this. When it comes to you digging your well, like Isaac did, which we're just going to see here in a minute, fighting for your well, maybe even having to dig another well. The simple truth is this. God has a plan for you. You see that in verse 2? The Lord appeared to him. Isaac didn't have the Word of God. And at that point, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out in the earth as the prophet Joel prophesied. 
as we have now today. Amen? The Holy Spirit, He's moving and ministering on the earth as the prophet Joel prophesied. And it took place in the day of Pentecost. We read in Acts 2. But Isaac, the Lord God came to Isaac. And He said, don't go to Egypt. Live in the land which I tell you to live. God has a plan for you. God had a plan for Isaac. God made a point to come to Isaac and tell him what not to do and what to do. Now you might say, well, why doesn't God want Isaac to go down to Egypt? Because after all, if there's no rain and it's a drought in this area of the world, the best place to be is Egypt because they have the Nile River which comes up from an underground spring. So they're kind of insulated. Egypt's kind of insulated from drought. They've got a river. And so Isaac is just doing what he saw his father do. He's just doing what he knew his father did. You know what? There may be some things that your parents, my parents, or grandparents, or someone we know, they may have done something a certain way, but that doesn't mean that's necessarily how you should do it. Before we do any kind of decision in life, especially a heavy decision where it's something we might be bound to for years or decades, or we make a change where we're going to live, where we're going to go to church, where we're going to work, this or that, what's my calling on my life? Before we do anything like that, we should stop and see what the plan of God is for us. God has a plan for you. He has a general plan for all people that they would believe on His Son, Jesus Christ, and be saved and inherit heaven. Live a life full of His abundant life. That's the general plan. But God has a specific plan for you. God has a place where you need to be positioned. And I've learned this. When you are in the will of God, you can't lack. The most prosperous place is the will of God. The most protected place is the will of God. The most peaceful place is the will of God. And God has a plan for you. You're in Genesis 26 too, but let me just read this to you. You know the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, the prophet Jeremiah said by the Holy Ghost, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. What kind of thoughts does God think towards you? Thoughts of peace, not of evil. So if the world is saying, uh-oh, evil times ahead, I say, well, that's not God's thoughts for me. If the world says, well, destruction ahead, not for me. I may be right here on this dirt at 743 East Main Street. But my spirit is seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I'm hid in the shadow of the wing of the, wing of the Almighty God. I, don't, I have thoughts of peace for you, not evil. To give you an expected end. God's plan for you is of abundance and peace its the kingdom plan. Righteousness, peace, and joy by the Holy Ghost. And in doing these things, we serve God, we make Christ known, and we're at peace with men. Romans 14, 17, 18, and 19. God has a plan for you. Let's look at verse 3. See this. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you. Obedience produces the presence of God in your life. Now you understand, I use that word produces because it helps me think that, but essentially our obedience is connected to the presence of God. It's just that simple. Go all the way to the beginning of the story of redemption. Adam, where are you? I'm here, Lord. Why are you hiding? I've sinned. At the point of sin, Adam hid. 
But prior to sin, Adam was always in the presence of God. What is sin? Disobedience. Eat any tree except that one. The, knowledge of tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one's mine. Any other one you can have, but not that one. Obedience produces the presence of God. Dwell in this land, verse 3, and I will be with you and bless you. And to you and your descendants. How many knows it's not just about us? It's about your family too. What you do will change your family tree. For good, for worse. I'm going to change mine for good, amen? Maybe you say, well, I've got a good family tree. Go from good to great. I will give all these lands. I'll perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. You know, when I read that, I can't help but think about what pastor's been teaching on with the widow woman with the oil. Her husband, Obadiah, was a righteous man. He had a relationship with God. And his continual steadfast relationship with God blessed his wife and his sons. Even though he may not have made the exact the best choices, his obedience to God, his love for God, and his continual relationship with God made provision for his wife and sons even after he was gone. There's something powerful about a heritage in God. You waking up tomorrow and making sure you have time at some point to pray and to study God's Word is not just for your Monday so you can have a good Monday. It'll produce a good Monday for you. But it's going to make your marriage stronger. It's going to bless your children, your grandchildren. It's going to make you a blessing to other people. It's not just about us. The blessing of the Lord will truly sustain us, yes, but it's about being overflowing out of us onto everyone else around us. Amen? Now I want you to see this. God has a wealthy place for you. God has a plan for you, and His plan is a wealthy place for you. Verse 3, dwell in this land. Don't go to Egypt, even though that makes natural sense. I've learned in my very short time so far on this earth, that just because it doesn't make natural sense doesn't mean it doesn't make godly sense. We're talking about provision, finances. Tithing doesn't make sense. Wait, just to make math simple. Wait, you're saying if I get $100, i got to give 10 here, have 90 left, and I'm going to be blessed? I'm starting off with subtraction? but I'm going to increase? That doesn't make natural sense. But it makes godly sense because I know this. Having 90 left over with the blessing of the Lord will produce much more than all of it with a curse. Don't go to Egypt. I know it makes sense, but dwell in this land. Dwell in Gerar. Dwell in this promised land. Gerar was right where Abraham was. It was in the middle roughly between where Abraham was and living and Egypt. And Isaac's on his way to Egypt, but Lord stops him and says, Stay here. This is the promised land. This is your land. This is the land I've promised to your father. Stay here. God has a wealthy place for you. Psalm 16.11 says this, You will show me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. God will show you His plan for your life. Now it may take just a little bit of time of prayer, 
And, and I, would, I would be so serious to say, hey, do some prayer with fasting. Not because it changes God. But, but you'll get real serious about the third meal. <laughs> I've done that before. I've said, now wait a minute, AJ. I know that Laura made cookies and they're in that cookie jar in the kitchen. And if I'm going to miss two more meals without cookies, I'm going to, I'm going to push through on this. I mean, because your mind and your body starts to play tricks on you. You begin to pray with fasting and you'll think no one's ever going to bake bread again if you don't break this fast. But no, you get out of that time of prayer with fasting, everything that your body wanted, it's still there. Amen. Amen. Find out what God's plan is for your life. What His plan is for you. Where should I work? Who should I work for? Should I work for myself? Should I work for a company? What should I do? And now, keep in mind, God's plan for you also involves the written word. Amen? It's a sad thing to say, well, I'm, I'm going to ignore this. God, show me your will. Well, no, Lord, I know your will's in here. This is the standard will. This is the instruction manual will. I'm going to follow this. I believe your grace is empowering, empowering me to obey your laws of your word. But I also know that the Bible doesn't tell you who to marry. It doesn't have your spouse's name written in there. Unless, you know, your spouse is named after someone like Naomi will be. Naomi's, her name's written in there. But AJ wasn't written in there. Even though the Lord made me and I'm perfect for Laura. Amen. The, the, where you're supposed to work is not in here. But the Holy Spirit knows. Side hustles. I was taking packages. We've got an internet business. Think about this. We have an internet business that my parents started in 1999 when the internet was in diapers. 1999. That's when you, when you got on, you heard the it's dial-up, right? And you wait two minutes before it connects. And the website, all the website was, ministryhelps.com at that time, was just a page. Here's the phone number. Because you couldn't do anything else. Here's the phone number, here's the address, send in a check or call and we'll do something. I think we did it, punched in the codes on the phone. Here we are, 22 years later, but that business was something that Lord said, well, here's some ideas, past. My dad, you know, our pastor, had these ideas for books as a project he's doing in seminary. He said, well, if I'm going to have to do it anyway, let's make this thing produce. I'm going to make it a book. It's going to bless people. It's the Word of God. It's going to bring power and might to the kingdom of God through the area of tithe and offering. Tithe and offering scriptures, five volumes, and the last one's a complete collection. From that, produced a website, seven websites, 3,500 products, 22 years of business, paid for my school, Angel School, full-time job for me since, I've, since 12 years ago. There may be something that God has put inside of you and you think, wow, that's a great idea, I should act on that. But if you don't act on it, it'll never produce. God has a wealthy place for you. In His presence there's fullness of joy. And at His right hand riches forevermore. Look at this, verse 4. Genesis 26, verse 4. And I'll make your descendants as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. There's an anointing for you to prosper. What's the difference between verse 3 and verse 4? Verse 3 is Isaac dwell in this land. That's Isaac's choice. Isaac had to do the obeying. I want you to say this out loud. Say, I have to do the obeying. Isaac's part. 
Dwell in Gerar. Dwell in this land. Don't go to Egypt. Dwell here. There's a wealthy place. There's a place of provision for you if you'll obey the Lord. Dwell here, Isaac. Okay, that's what I'll do. I'll dwell here. Then, at our obeying, God has an anointing for us and He does only what He can do. Verse 4, Then I will make your descendants multiply. The book of Ecclesiastes says that we don't know that powerful miracle that takes place in a seed or in the womb of a woman. God does it. God brings increase in any area of life. I can't make my, my children multiply as the stars of heaven. God does that. I can't give all this land, every, all this land that was promised to Abraham. Isaac's saying, I can't give that to my children. God does that. But I can't obey. I can dwell here in this land. I can obey the word of the Lord. I can dwell at this place that God's told me to dwell at. And when you do obey and you find that wealthy place that God has for you, then the anointing comes on you to prosper. Amen. Then God does what He can do alone. But look at verse 5. Because Abraham, say it out loud, obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. There's a tie. Obedience brings blessing. Verse 6, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Isaac did what the Lord told him to do. That's a whole large part of living in peace with God. If I'll just do what God told me to do. And I'm persuaded this. If God, will command, if God commands us to do something, it's because we can. You know, there's some people that think, well, I know God said it, but I just sure can't. So God set you out to fail. That's not a good father. God empowers you. Grace is an empowerment to obey what God has commanded. What, what did Jesus say? He said, I didn't come to do away with this law. I came to fulfill it. And we're in Christ's people. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament, it says, if we will love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and body, and love our neighbors as ourselves, this is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. It's that spirit of love in us working. And that is the grace of God causing us, empowering us to obey. 1 Peter 1, be you holy, be you holy as I am holy. Amen. You know, I pray that daily in my prayer time. I say, Lord, I thank you that you're Jehovah Mekadeshkum. You're the Lord God, my sanctifier. And if you said, be holy, I'm holy. Amen. I'm holy because you said I'm holy. Because the blood of Jesus cries out from the hills of Calvary that I've been set free from sin, so I'm set free from sin. If this body's been redeemed and it's a temple of the Holy Ghost, then the Holy Ghost dwells here, not sin, death, and destruction. If God said it, I can do it. Amen? We say that every Sunday, right? If He said we can do it, we can do it. If He said we are, we are. I am what He says I am. I can do it. I can have what He says I can have. And obedience brings in a blessing. Psalms 1.1, it says this, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. First decision. Nor stands, second decision, in the way of the sinners. Nor sits, third decision, in the seat of the scornful. You could read it th this way. The man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, is the blessed man. Same words, different order. There's a blessing to obedience. 
That's why, you know, if you're working, you say, well, I'm working this job and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but it just feels like I can't push ahead. God sees you and He'll make a way for you. I know that happens. I know I live in the real world. I know there's some bosses that literally are out to get you. Seriously, I know it. I know there are people out there that are motivated by Satan that will do hurt and harm toward the people of God. The way I see it, no chump's going to stop the blessing of the Lord on my life. Oh, that don't sound very holy. No, it is. Look at this, verse 12. I love putting in a little punchline that and then having a verse to back it up. Because then I can kind of get away with saying the word chump. Genesis 26, verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year. He obeyed, he received. A hundredfold. And the Lord did what? Blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. There's levels to everything in life. I've not arrived and you haven't either. Amen? My goal, your goal, the goal of the believer is continually progressing in everything God has for us. You know, it's just not, Lord, bless me, my wife, us, what is it? Bless me, my wife, my children, us four, no more. Right? That's what someone said. No, Lord, bless me. I want to tithe more than I made last year. I want to give. There's an evangelist that Laura and I are connected with. And we gave in November. Now, it's not just about giving offerings. You understand we talk every single Sunday about stewardship principles. Amen? You got me on that, right? But there's a power to tithe and offering. And there's a power to saving and investing. There's a power to budgeting. It all works together. Amen? Like the Bible says, do everything decently in order. Do it all. What should I do that the Lord commands? All of it. Laura and I gave a, a, the largest gift we'd ever, uh, largest check we've ever rich, written in November. And took money out of savings and gave it to an evangelist, Jonathan Shuttlesworth, that we're partnered with. Because we, we, simply as a thanksgiving offering. Lord, we're thankful for the work of the gospel that's in this man. We want to see souls saved. And there's lots of things we're doing, you understand. But we're giving this to say thank you, Lord, because the gospel's changed our life. And I want to see what's taking place in our life take place in other people's life. And I believe this man's anointed, so go push him. Here's some. This is how much I believe and I did it. Let me tell you something. You write an offering check that's more than your mortgage payment, you better have some faith. I didn't write it instead of the mortgage payment. I had both to do. I don't believe in writing faith checks. Faith checks bounce too often. I've received faith checks as a business. And all it does is cost me $35 when the faith check don't go through. No. Write the check out and leave it on the desk until the money's in the account. That's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I'm talking about real life here. You realize that? I'm talking about real things here. Last week, Laura and I, we were pulling into our home, and Laura made the, the, the point. She said, it feels like there's just money everywhere. Because over the past two months, there's just increase. It's like every different place, there's money coming through. Why? Because a seed produces after its own kind. Well, you must be one of them prosperity gospel preachers. It's better than a poverty, busted, broken, disgusted preacher. Am I putting money above God? No. Cross before me, the world behind me. I've decided to follow Jesus. I just believe this. If there's men, I've told my wife this, we'll go do something, you know, go out and eat or something. Nice place. Why are we going? I've done this before. I said, 
Honey, I believe that if there's, an, if there's a man who makes wealth by lying, cheating, and stealing and can take his mistress out and eat at a nice place and have a good time, then by God, I can do it as a man of God. Now that'll make evil, wicked people upset. Well, how do you know that? Let's keep on reading. Verse 15, or verse 13. The man began to prosper, continued prospering, until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. It may not sound politically correct. It may not sound religiously correct. There's, that's, that's true too. There's some things that you hear people say and they say, you know, I know that's what, they, that's what the Hallmark preacher might say. We, like, we watch Hallmark at our house a lot. Pray for me, Todd. We watch Hallmark. No, it's okay. We can turn that on and I don't have to be afraid of what's going to come through the TV. You know, it's, it's pretty, it's okay. It's either that or John Wayne. Laura leaves the room, she comes back, John Wayne's on. But it's not what the Hallmark preacher is going to say, right? It says some little ditty, some little poem. Da, 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 da. No, I'm talking about the anointing of God will make people envious. And that's okay. Because if they get envious, hey, there's plenty for everyone. There's riches and fullness of life here at the well of Christ. Come drink of this water. Be envious no more. Verse 16. Verse 15, now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they filled them in with earth. This is the second thing I want you to see. Satan's always going to attack you when you begin to do the Word of God. Well, AJ, I thought you said, you know, the blessing of the Lord's on me. But now when I started, I, I've never tithed before. But I tithed last week and my transmission went out. Well, the, probably, probably... It's not that, oh, the Lord saw me tithe and now my transmission blew out. No, it's probably you finally received the conviction of the Lord and you've planted a seed just in time for when that transmission went out so the Lord could bless you. Amen. Oh, what about that? The moment you begin to do the Word of God, verse 15, now the Philistines, they were envious of Isaac. So what did they do? They filled in the wells that his father dug. That's an act of war. We're not talking about Lawrence County, South Carolina. We're talking about the Middle East in a time of drought. There ain't no rain. Let's, di let's fill in the wells. The places where we get water from, let's put dirt in it. Fill it up. It was an act of war. Satan will always attack the doer of the word. Mark 4.15 says this, And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. How do I know when Satan's going to come around? When the word's sown. Right now, you and I, there's thoughts crossing our mind that we're going to say, but, what, this, that, mm, uh. We have to say, cast down every thought. Bring it before the word of God. Now, is that thought that just came into my mind, well, I know he said that, but it don't work for me because it never has. Does that align with the word of God? Or does the Bible say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength? Does it say, well, I know he says that, but I got a real big need. Does that match up with the Word of God? No, it says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Amen. The moment the Word's sown, Satan comes immediately. But here's the thing. He's already whipped. All he can do is discourage you. All he can do... The only weapon Satan has is deceit, 
get you to doubt, to go into unbelief, ignorance. We don't know what's ours. Obadiah 1.17, in that day we will possess what is ours. We will possess our possessions when Christ has been revealed to us. Speaking of Christ coming, but in our life it's this. When Christ has come, I have what He says I have. Look at this. Look at, let's, let's keep reading. Verse 16, Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us. You're much mightier than we. How long should I stay in the wealthy place? How long should I keep doing what God has told me to do? Until the world around you says, God's made you great. Seriously. What if I get boasted and lifted up? No, 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 no. It's bringing glory to God. Psalms 126. And then the nations will say, The Lord has done great things for you. And we'll say, Yes, He has. Now come be a part of it. Verse 17, Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. They fill up his dad's wells. It's an act of war, but he doesn't engage in war. He digs another well. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said in Matthew 5. Verse 18, Isaac dug again the wells of the water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And Isaac called them by the names which his father had called them. There it is again, that same principle. What you do, your kids and your grandkids are watching and learning. More is caught than taught. And they'll name the things you name in this life. What you call things now is what they'll call it later, generations to come. Verse 19, And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. Verse 20, But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled fought with them, fought with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, this water's ours. This is our water. So he called the name of that well Isaac, because they quarreled with him. Satan will assign people to attack you. Somebody knows that's true, amen? <laughs> now, not everyone that attacks you is assigned by Satan. Sometimes we can do that on our own. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Help us. Satan is a fallen angel. And he expresses himself through people. Demonic powers express themselves through people. Satan can assign people to attack you. You know, I'm thinking about there's two different, there's a couple different testimonies. Benson Idahosa, he was a mighty man of God. He's already, he went to heaven already. He's in heaven now with Jesus. But he was born in Benin, Nigeria. The man, you can go look him up on YouTube. There's all these amazing stories about him. Mighty man of God, consecrated to the Lord. He thought differently, though. That's what made him so powerful, doing things for the Lord. He's bit, he built this church in the 60s and 70s. He had this big church in Benin, Nigeria. Big, beautiful church beside the airport. Nigeria elects a Muslim prime minister. That prime minister... Comes to, Benin, or comes to Benson Idahosa's church and said, we need your land, we're going to push the church over, we're making the airport bigger. Now how many knows to every building there's four sides? Benson was on one side of the airport. Why do you need to go that direction? Satan assigns people to attack you. Benson plainly told him, they sent him a letter. They sent him a letter because this is just the character and measure of Benson Idahosa. They sent him a letter, we're in eminent domain. We're going to take your church, take your land. We're going to expand the airport for the sake of Nigeria. What's bigger and better for the sake of Nigeria, the preaching of the gospel or a bigger airport? Every nation. 
How do you know if Satan's doing something? Is it something against the work of the church and against the work of the gospel? That's Satan inspired. Benson, he gets this letter. Doesn't say anything, doesn't reply. He goes on TV that Sunday and he said, any government that takes my church will fall before my church does. They said, okay, we can't take it. We'll buy it from them. Benson, okay, all right, we hear you, we hear you, we hear you. We'll give you one million British pounds. A lot of money back then. Anyone know what inflation is? Things change. One million British pounds back then, lots of money. Benson said, you can't buy what God's commanded me to do. This is my wealthy place. This is where God has told me to be, right here. I ain't taking it. I don't want your money. I'm sold out to God. They, they, they finally realized they weren't going to be able to take the church. So what did they do, which they could have always done? They built in another direction. Here's where it gets good. The direction that they build, there's an apartment complex there. So they have to, by law of eminent domain, when they take the apartment complex, they have to pay the people living in the apartment so much to relocate. Those people that were living there were Benson's church members and they were all tithers. He kept his church and when they tithed, the million British pounds came in. He kept what Satan wanted and still got what Satan offered him. There's a blessing to obedience. I'm thinking about Dr. Lester Sumrall. We're studying through his study guide right now, men's Bible study. He, he starts out as an evangelist. He then builds a church in South Bend, Indiana. Builds up this church by the work of the Lord. Lord tells him to go to the Philippines. He leaves this big church. Lots of people doing a great work there. But the Lord told him to go to the Philippines. He can't prosper and do what he's been called to do anywhere outside the will of God. It's real hard to preach the gospel if you're not listening to the one who spoke the gospel. <laughs> so he goes to the Philippines. Does a work there. Mighty work there. In fact, there's a, there was a, a, an account of this story. This girl, this young girl called Bitten by Devils is the name of the book. She was in Bilibad prison. Possessed of devils. Lester Summerall was praying, Lord, free her. He said, you do it. After several days of prayer, Lester Summerall says, arguing with the Lord. <laughs> he finally says, you know what, I'm going to do it. Because God said, look, I've anointed men. I've put my spirit in men to take dominion on this earth. He goes, he prays for that woman, cast those devils out. Re newspapers there, they see it. Mass revival takes place. Six weeks of revival. Builds this beautiful, wonderful people and church off of this revival. Lord gives him a dream. Says you need to go back to America. Second time. He goes back to America. He goes back to South Bend where the Lord tells him to go. So now he's back where he started. He buys the land. He's about to start building the church. And he gets a cease and desist order to build. He can't get a building permit. Because 70 some odd people in the community said the land he bought is the home of the squirrels and we don't want a church there. Satan will assign people to attack you. Now Lester Sumrall, he was a lion among men. Some people, oh God, you said I was supposed to do it, but oh well, I guess 70 people said it's the home of the squirrels. I guess we can't build a church. If God says that's where the church is going to be built, it don't matter if there's 7 billion people say it's the home of the squirrels. The homeless squirrels can be blessed somewhere else. Amen? I'm an animal lover, but it's like with, with insects. I say, Lord, I know you created insects for reasons, but they don't need to be in my house. Let them do their work outside. <laughs> Nothing against you, ants, but I just don't need you in the house. Go on out. 
Lester Summerall goes into the mayor's office, walks past the secretary, no appointment, busts through, sits on the desk. This is what his son told him. This is an account of his son. He sits on the desk. He looks at the mayor. He said, I've got this letter that says 70 some odd people said that it, the land I bought for my church is the home of the squirrels. He said, I want you to know I've got a thousand people in my church and every one of them is going to be in front of your office every day with a sign until I get a building permit for this church. In 20 minutes, he had his building permit and he built his church and it's still there today. The land you're sitting on was owned by a man who said, over my dead body will a church be on it. Satan may assign people to attack what God has commanded you to do. But if you don't back down, you don't make peace treaties with Satan. You don't... The, here's the opposite story. There's a, there was a, a wonderful man of God in London, built a wonderful church. And for years, the city of London wanted to take his land. Satan assigns people to attack you. He wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. Eventually, they use eminent domain because the Olympics are coming in. We've got to have this big, wonderful place. You know how they do with Olympics. Make it big, beautiful, and then the Olympics are gone and it's all empty. We've got to have this big, beautiful place and we need your land where your church is, just so happens. He says, but we'll give you some other land. He said, okay. The land they gave him wasn't zoned for churches, still isn't zoned for churches, no church. Satan can attack. But here's the thing. What you don't resist has a right to remain. But James chapter 4 says, Submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's a law. It's not, well, sometimes he will. Satan may be a sign. He may assign some people to come along and attack you. He did it to Paul. Acts 17, 13, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached at Paul at Berea, they came there and stirred up the people. So what did Paul do? He dug another well. What did Isaac do? He dug another well. Notice this in verse 20. But the herdsmen of Gerar, they quarreled. We saw that, Essek. So what in verse 21? They dug another well. Someone say, dig another well. They dug another well. What's going to happen in these next, this next year? I don't know. But if one well gets stopped up, I'll dig another one. Well, what if they said, you know, the Lord told me to do this. Do it. Yeah, but these people said I can't. It don't matter. Well, they've hurt or harmed me. Sometimes it happens. Dig another well. Isaac dug another well. And they quarreled there and called it sitna, which means accusation. Essek, contention, strife. Sitna, accusation. He names these places what they were. Verse 22. Second well he dug and they took it. What does he do? Dig another well. Verse 22, he removed from there and dug another well. And they didn't quarrel over it there. You know, if you'll keep pushing, you'll keep pressing, you'll keep believing God, what God says is yours will come to pass in your life. What does Galatians 6, 7 tells us? Whatever, God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. Verse 9, and if we faint not in doing good, we shall receive an exceedingly good harvest. If we faint not... Isaac refused to faint. They're taking my well. Isaac, that well we just dug? Yeah. They filled it in. Dig another one. Second one. Isaac, they took that one too. Dig another one. They hit this one. Verse 22, they hit this one. 
They didn't quarrel there. So he called its name Rehoboth because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Dig another well. You're anointed to prosper. If something doesn't work the first time, try something else. If what you've been told to do, you're doing it, keep on doing it. Some things just don't happen overnight. And a lot of things don't happen in your life just because everyone gathers around you and say, yeah, you can do it. Some of the greatest things that God has ever birthed in men and women on this earth were things that other people said, nope, ain't going to happen. You can't do it. Impossible. With man. But with God, there is nothing impossible. <laughs> Look at this. So they build Rehoboth and they get the well that produces water. But Isaac is anointed to prosper. See, he, God had a plan for him. And even though Satan assigned people to attack him, he was anointed to prosper which the end result is, he's going to prosper. God has a plan for you. Satan may attack you and will do it in you doing the will of God, but the reality is you're anointed to prosper. What does that mean? You're anointed to be fruitful in any area of life that God has assigned you to, that God's redeemed you for. Verse 24, look here. Then the Lord appeared unto him the same night. Notice, at the beginning of Genesis 26, God appeared to him, gave him direction. Isaac obeyed. And because of Isaac's obedience, the Lord appears again. You might say, well, I wish the Lord would talk to me. Are you doing what God told you to do? I've heard, you've, we, I've heard different men of God say it, but it really is true regardless of who said it first. If you can't hear the voice of God, go back to the last time you obeyed God. Because if you're walking in disobedience, he has nothing else to say but go back and do what I told you to do. Just because you or I might disobey the Lord doesn't mean the Lord's going to say, Oh, well, I commanded you to do this, but you disobeyed, so we'll change the plan. If you're not hearing from God, well, you always, you know, Lord, is there something off inside of me? Is there so am I where I'm not supposed to be? Because where I want to be, I want to be in your presence. The Lord appeared to him, verse 24, Genesis 26, 24, we're bringing it to a close. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I'm with you. Obedience produces the presence of God. And where God is, there is no lack for anything. There's no lack for provision. There's no lack for finances and wealth. There's no lack for healing. There's no lack for peace. There's no lack for a spouse. If you're single and you want to be married, you want to be married to someone who's full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Amen? I pray that for our folks in our church, Lord. If they're searching, let them find a husband, a wife, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. Tall, dark, and handsome don't hurt either, does it? <laughs> Sydney said, Amen. <laughs> Amen. It, it don't, amen. It, it's, it's like what Mr. Scogan said, right, Toby? He said, looks ain't everything, but you do have to look at her every morning. <laughs> and wives would say, hey, it goes the same way, don't it? <laughs> look at this, verse 25. So he built an altar there. Isaac encountered God because he obeyed. And where obedience is, there's worship. 
Saul was reminded of this by Samuel. When Saul said, I'm just going to go ahead and make this sacrifice, even though it's the prophet's job. And Samuel says, don't you realize, Saul, what you've done is a sin? 1 Samuel 15. He said, because obedience is better than sacrifice. It's like saying, I am a friend of God, but I don't obey you. No? Uh-uh. <laughs> what if we change that? That sounds real good. And I, we sing the song, I am a friend of God. Or we said, I'm a disobeyer of God, but don't you still love me and then make me your friend? Hmm. There's a lot there, isn't it? He built an altar there. Obedience was, a, was what Isaac had to do. And that created a place, when we obey the Word of God, that creates a place for His presence to dwell. So He built an altar there. He called on the name of the Lord. He pitched His tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug another well after Rehoboth. But this place is different. Isaac says, this is it. The other places, the anointing was on me, the blessing was on me. But here, I met God face to face. This is where not only where I will dig wells, but I will live. I'm going to live here. So notice what happens as we close. Verse 27, verse 26. Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahazdath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and sent me away from you? They told Isaac, Look, you're too great. You're too big. Get on out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. Not very neighborly. Verse 25, notice what they said. Isaac said, what are you doing here? You hate my guts. Why are you here? How many knows that people can't lie, amen? Verse 25, but they said, we've certainly seen that the Lord is with you. True. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. Verse 25, 29, that you will do no harm to us since we've not touched you, Isaac. Well, what about Isaac and Sitna? where the shepherds of Gerar were fighting with my shepherds. What about my father's whales? Oh no, they're lying, aren't they? Right through their teeth. We've done nothing to you but good and sent you away in peace. No, Isaac, you're too big, you're too strong. We hate your guts and we're afraid that you hate our guts and we don't want you to kill us, so get on out of here. But Isaac was a peacemaker. Verse 29, But even though they're lying, they said plainly the truth. You are now blessed of the Lord. Isaac, even the people that hated Isaac realized this. Isaac was anointed to prosper. And this is what it really comes down to. Take this away. It wasn't the wells that Isaac had that were blessed. It was the one digging the wells that was blessed. All the people that hated Isaac took his wells, but those wells don't work if it's not under the blessed man's blessing. The well isn't blessed. The well digger's blessed. Dig another well. Dig another well. Why? You're anointed to prosper. If God has put something down in, I say your belly, but in your spirit, I mean in your gut, where you know this is what I'm here on earth to do, do it. Well, how are we going to do this or that? God will provide. He will anoint you as you obey. He will bring about everything He's promised to this point to where Isaac, he made a treaty with him. Verse 30, what do you do when enemies come over? Well, if they're not hurting or harming you, fix them a meal, let them eat, and then send them on their way. Because what happens in verse 31? They arose early, 
swore an oath with one another. Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. Verse 32, And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And he said to them, We found water. They, they dug a fourth well. And after he made peace with the people who hated him. Oh, that sounds like what Jesus said. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for the... Because here's the thing. Even though Satan may have assigned them to attack you, it's not them doing it. Let's be honest. If we're dead in sin and ignorant to the things of God, we'd do things and did things we shouldn't have done as well, didn't we? We said things we shouldn't have said. We hurt people we shouldn't have hurt in sin. You don't, we're not warring against flesh and blood here. But I am warring a war of faith to see what God has said as mine come to pass in my life. And in verse 33, last thing, so he called it Sheba, meaning seven. Why did he call it seven? Because when God first came to him in Genesis 26, 2 through 4, he said, I'll be with you. I'll bless you. I'll give you countries. I'll perform the oath I made to Abraham. I'll multiply your seeds as the stars. I'll give you all these countries to your children, and I'll bless you and multiply you for Abraham's sake. Isaac was anointed to prosper because God said, I'm going to bless you. And he hits that fourth well, and it's a gusher. And he names it, and he said, everything... When he's naming it seven, it's not just, oh, I like the number seven. He's naming it because everything God said would take place has. And as you and I obey, we'll be anointed to prosper. So I don't know what the world's going to participate in. I don't know what any form of government or administration will do or not do. Governments do righteous things and unrighteous things, amen? I pray the same way I've been praying. I, I prayed for President Obama, President Trump. I'll pray for President Biden. I didn't pray for President Bush. And you say, why not? Well, I don't know how holy you are, but when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, I wasn't praying for many presidents. But President Obama, when I turned 18, he became president. I'll pray the same way for any president. Lord, if they don't know you, let them know Jesus. Let them receive a saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. Let them legislate with righteousness and let them be surrounded by righteous counsel. And if they won't, whether it's president, governor, senator, congressman, mayor, city council, dog catcher. Lord, if they won't do what's righteous, remove them from office. Because I know when the righteous are in rule, the nation rejoices. And I also know this. Lord, even if everybody is assigned against me. You're for me. And I'm anointed to prosper.